I don't think we can look at player development, especially individual player development, as a problem to be solved. I think we got to look at it as an opportunity to build relationships with these young men and really help them grow and develop as baseball players. And then we can plug in the information they need. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. Today, we're joined by the founder of Start Pitching and a consultant to MLB pitchers, Daryl Coulter. A few of the topics we get into are pitching development from a mindset perspective, why building relationships is the key to growth, and we go over several of his keys to developing command. Without further ado, here is Daryl Coulter. Daryl Coulter, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, Jonathan, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be a part of it. I'm excited. I've listened to a lot of the shows that you put out so far, man. You're doing good stuff. So I'm excited to, to come on and, and share with your audience. So let's get this thing going. How are you doing? Never been better. Today's the best day I've ever had in my entire life. But this show is about you. <laughs> so Amen. So let's, uh, let's t- tell our, our listeners a little bit about your story. And how you got yeah. to where you are today and, and just kind of go through that a little bit. Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town about 60 miles south of St. Louis, Missouri called Bonterre. We were in, a, I was blessed. I was in a community that was a real strong baseball community in the late 70s, early 80s. We, we had a lot of kids get drafted out of this area, either from local junior college or from the high schools that we played at. So as I was younger growing up, I, I grew up in a big family, had an older brother who always drugged me along with him. Thank God for that and and put up with it. So I grew up always playing with the older kids. So it was something that, as as guests have probably told you before, that it was that it was that generation where we went out and played, man. We played wiffle ball every day or we played something every day. And it did. It drove the, the love for sports and the love for competition and at the same time, building them friendships and relationships that last forever. So that's where it started. I played football, basketball, in high, and baseball in high school. I got drafted by the Phillies out of high school, played four years in the minor leagues with them. Interesting uh, experience. I'm, I don't regret it. But at the same time, looking back on it now, I think, uh, you know, going to college for a while and, and growing up, you know, as a person and, and physically maturing as a pitcher, probably would have suited me better for for getting ready for that pro experience. But over the years from that point forward, I started doing some one-on-one consulting with, with local guys here that either got drafted or was trying to go off to college and play. Then about 2006, 2007, I really got the itch to get back into doing consulting, but I wanted to take a different approach. I really wanted to research the true individual pitcher development side of it. And so I did. I started digging through and why, you know, the big emphasis for me was trying to figure out why first, second, third round picks, you know, the ones that were the highly scrutinized, the ones that were almost the can't miss guys. Why consistently over the years that, you know, you know, 50 percent to 75 percent wasn't making it to the big leagues. And so this was one of those things that I understood the business model of the minor leagues. But at the same time. When I started going back and, and confidentially and just privately interviewing guys I played with all the way up through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even the kids that are playing today, you see some commonalities that come out of that. And then, you know, again, the same kind of experience I had, Jonathan, when you go in and you got this ideal of what you think it's going to be like, what that experience is going to be like, and then it don't quite turn out the way you thought it would then it does. After you've been away from it for a few years, it gives you a chance to to take a different perspective and look back on it. And so over these last probably five or six, seven years, I've really started doing some confidential consulting because from the 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 picture development piece of it, it we got uh, so much stuff out there now, information out there now. And it's interesting because there's a couple of studies that one Alan Simpson did in 95, going back to the beginning of the major league draft in, I think, 1965. And then another one that uh, Rich Karcher did from 95 and picked it up till 2011. And so through them 50, 60 years of, of the MLB draft, the percentage of draft picks that made it to the big leagues by round was almost identically the same. Wow. Even though, even though, yeah, even though in the last 10 or 15 years, the strength conditioning, arm care, 
all the awareness stuff of, of how we train, nutrition, all the things that you thought would have made an impact, especially on the top two or three, four round guys that were, you know, supposedly the the most physically prepared or at least the most physically projected pitchers in the draft every year. And yet consistently the percentage wise was almost exactly to it was to 1965. And so that was interesting to me. I wanted to go. So I went digging deeper in it. And a lot of times we were sensitive. All of us former guys that didn't make it to the big leagues or didn't have a long extended pro career. You know, when we go back and start reflecting on really what we'd have done different, then that's kind of the mindset that I took into this pitcher development stuff. So about four years ago, 2012, 13, 14, right in there, I started start pitching, which is it's just my process for pitcher development. And start stands for specific thoughts and actions required today and tomorrow. And it truly was of trying to get pitchers out of their own heads, get them focused on what it took to, uh, to be a complete pitcher, which I break down into four different components. I break it down into the intellectually interested, the emotional uh, investment, and then I look at the mental aspects of it and the physical capabilities. So when I'm breaking pitchers down, I look at all four of those aspects and I start with, are they intellectually interested? And so when we break that down and I assess that piece of it and move into where they're at emotionally and then look at the physical capabilities, then we can start mapping out what I call a complete pitcher program. It's one of those, a pitch command blueprint is what we try to develop. And and so each pitcher is unique. We try to break it down. So the start process is just that. When we look at each individual pitcher, you know, where they're currently at, where they are wanting to go and really trying to reframe how they look at either the high school experience, the college experience, or the pro experience and what they want out of it, then I think this kind of gives us a chance to look at it from without it being a comparison necessarily to everybody else, but getting back to that, hey, let's look at the guy in the mirror and what do we got to do individually to not only go out there and perform at our best, but to be a part of the team, to be a part of that that unique paradox that baseball is is that, you know, it's an individual team sport. And so we develop players individually. We develop positions individually. But at the same time, when we run them out there and cross that white line, they got to play together. So I think it's neat. I think it's the piece that drives the rest of what we do. Then, you know, a lot of the times when I started doing the pro consulting, it was to support my mission work I do at Bethlehem Christian Academy. And that's really when I started the consulting business was we're building schools over in Zambia, Africa. and so a lot of the pro clients and them that I took on, that's what I was using those resources for. And it just kind of took a life of its own over the last two or three years. I've been blessed. I've worked with some some good agents who do a lot of referrals. I got some some local academies that have sent me some good clients and then, you know, just the the word of mouth stuff that we do. But I always try to keep this piece of it confidential because this is one of those things with coaches and and with recruiters and, and and coaching staffs that it can get sensitive as we get deeper into, you know, what these pitchers are doing and at the college and pro level where, you know, coaches truly do get paid to win that, you know what, I want to make sure that these kids truly do believe in their ability to get to that next level. And so that's where start came from. I know that's a long answer for what you wanted to do to get this started, but that kind of lays out the baseline of, of that the key to this for me is relationships, man. I want real relationships with my players and with their parents and with the coaches that I work with. And I want them to know that truly I'm in it for their best interest and, and not what I can take away from it or, or anything, any piece of my business. So with, with that, man, we can, we can move in. That's kind of the, in the snapshot where I came from, man. No, I love that. And that's, that's an absolutely perfect answer. And I couldn't agree with you more. But I'm really interested to hear, you know, how you go about it on a day-to-day basis. Talk to us if a if a pro client contacts you yep. and says, "Hey, where do we start?" What's the yep. first thing that you guys would do? Well, that's the first thing I want to know is is where they is what I call the 3D assessment. I walk them through about, you know, where are they at, and then what do they think the biggest challenge is. So when we start looking at it, honestly. It, and and again, here's a here's a piece, Jonathan. I don't want to miss in this. Is here's the one of the takeaways that I've gathered over the last eight or ten years. 
there's too many times that we go into pitcher development or we go in to try to help a, a pitcher and we look at them like it's a problem to be solved instead of it being, okay, where are they hung up at and how do we grow them to the next step? And so it seems kind of semantical, but the truth is it's not. And a lot of times when we look at these kids, if we think that when they call us and, and they're a problem to be solved, then we got a tendency as coaches to lean on our own philosophy, to lean on what we think is going on. And, and so instead of listening to these young pitchers or to these, that, you know, explain to us where they're at, what they're thinking and really hearing it, then we got a tendency of saying, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that. So I try to really be super sensitive about listening about trying to figure out where they feel like they're at intellectually. Is there red flags? Yeah. You know, the guys I deal with, most of them are physically capable of pitching in the big league. So they they got the talent. They got all the measurables. They got the things that, you know, that you would check off the boxes if you're walking down. But yet they still ain't getting out consistently. And so when I ask them that first question, what's your biggest challenge? And then how come you're not getting outs? then that's usually when it becomes, it starts getting quiet or they start wanting to do what I call the natural default. Every time we're struggling, we want to go to some mechanical issue. We want to sit here and think, well, I think it's something wrong with my mechanics. And more often than not with these, with these older guys, the, the college kids and, and the pro guys, it's not. It's, you know, when, I, when we go back and reframe it, and here's kind of my mantra with these guys is that your mind produces and controls every pitch you throw. So when we practice, we're practicing so our brain will emotionally trust your body to do what you intellectually want it to do. So when we go up and we walk up the the back of the mound and we step on that rubber and we look in and get the sign from the catcher, that's the one point in time that every pitcher that ever played baseball is unique. When they get that sign, they they got their own thoughts. They that first thought that pops in their mind is going to be based purely on what they believe they're capable of doing. And that's more than just this woo-woo stuff. It truly is intellectually. I call it the intellectual cup. Are they curious? Do they understand how they throw their pitches on purpose with velocity and movement to a specific location? And then are they prepared? Do they know what that hitter knows that they're capable of throwing? And what is that hitter expecting? And so when we start putting it in that kind of uh, context, then we have the we have the chess match that we really want. We don't want that pitcher to be thinking about mechanics or thinking about breathing or thinking about any other kind of uh, gimmick or tool or track uh, that they use. We want it to be focused on, here's what the hitter is expecting. What am I going to show him that first 20 feet? And then what's it going to look like two or three feet from home plate? What is the commitment from that pitcher to the hitter and vice versa? And once we have that chess match right and we can reframe that, a lot of times, Jonathan, we can pull these kids out of that that default mechanical issue because I'm telling you, there is times that it happens. But most of the time with the older guys, it's when we have some sort of injury or the arms hurting or something that is just truly physically not letting them do what they're capable of doing. But the other times, it's, it's, it's us not understanding honestly intellectually how we throw our pitches and so once we get to that piece of it now all of a sudden when we start that individualization that all these coaches are talking about wanting to do we can do that individualization even within a team environment but it truly there's going to be some prep work that has to happen either in the off season or it has to happen in fall ball or somewhere when we start looking at how these kids honestly, each one throw their pitches by velocity movement to a specific location. So once we identify that with these pro guys or a high school or college uh, young man that I'm working with, then we kind of reframe the whole conversation. And most of it's taken them back because a lot of times most coaches or instructors they've reached out to, the first thing they want to do is see video and see stuff. And I don't. I want to I want to hear what they got to say. I want to know if they're getting feedback from somebody they trust or is it something that they just really personally feel or is it a, a combination of both? And so once we start having that conversation, then we can really look into individually what's going on with this picture. And a lot of times it can be a conflict of interest with the coaching staff. It could be that this coaching staff won't let them do their strength and conditioning program or the recovery program. 
And so when I'm, when I'm talking to coaches all the time, we got to identify, and especially college coaches that's bringing kids into, you know, that has went through select ball or went through a lot of these programs that are out there now where these kids have put a lot of confidence in the recovery, their strength and conditioning and, and how they honestly prepare to get ready to pitch that week. And when they show up on campus, if these coaches got a different philosophy or a different idea on on how we prepare or what we do recovery wise or that, I'm telling you right now, man, in my experience, that has a psychological impact on these kids. Anytime, anytime we change something that they have confidence in, then we're going to have to be sensitive about how we do that. Just just being in that authoritative figure. And then given that, you know, that they, this is the way we do it at this place, then a lot of times they, I call them Christmas kids. I have them and parents call me all the time about them. Is These are the kids that work their hind end off to get to this, their favorite school. And then they show up and that first six months, that first semester just ain't the experience they thought it would be. And then I tell parents all the time, man, if you see them kids pull up in the driveway at Christmas and everything they took to school with them is in that car, they ain't going back. And so when, when we look into the different aspects on why we show up at campus, then I think that's it. But I think just to kind of nail it down to try to tie all this together, and I know I'm kind of wandering on you a little bit, but this piece of it right there is the first step. We got to understand what these kids are thinking, whether it's the, the pro guys all the way down to the high school guys. And, and once we understand how they're thinking, then we can take our philosophies, we can take our teaching methods and programs and strategies and plug them in. But if these kids don't have a pretty good grasp on who they are and what they're capable of doing, then they're always going to feel like they got to be something they're not. And man, that is a, that's a beast that's hard to run down after it gets away from you. So sticking on that same subject, if we wanted to, through your experiences, you've dealt with this a lot. How do we get kids to buy into something that maybe they're doing and they've done for a long time, but it's yep. might not be the best way to do it? So how would you approach yep. telling a kid or asking a kid about changing something that they're really sold on? Yeah, that's a great question. And two things happen. One is when I'm looking for buy-in, I'm not looking for 100% buy-in. I'm looking for 51, 52%. I just want their attention. And if we can get their attention... But a lot of times, if the first time we have that conversation with them, Jonathan, is at at a problem, then they're going to come in with it a little defensive about it. But if we have these conversations before it becomes a problem or before we're having this talk with them after they haven't performed the way we want them to perform, then they're going to come in with a different mindset than if we went in day one when they showed up or even during the recruiting visit. Hey, here's what we do. Here's the stuff we do. And most kids will be, they want to go to that school. They're just going to be agreeable until they get there. And then they realize that day in and day out, this is the piece that we do at 6 a.m. Or here's the piece that we do. And it don't necessarily match what you've done up to that point. I think if we if we can keep it into the strength and conditioning and physical capabilities piece, I think we're fine. I think most young men will buy into that piece of it. If we sit here and try to sell them that their pitch command is based on this workout program or their strength and conditioning. Most of my clients would tell you they don't believe that. And in my experience, I don't believe it either. I think physical capability gives us an, an ability for our body to do what we want to do. And hopefully we can stay healthy and recover and do what we want to do. But if we're going to come in and say, this is my pitching philosophy and this is what every pitcher does here. And if you don't do this, then you're not going to pitch here or you're you're not going to have the command that you think you can have. Then a lot of times that's going to be one I have to test it and wait and see. But that's one of those things with with my other business, a pitcher match that we do, that when I go through and try to educate these parents on how to help their son find the best school, when we're looking at that aspect of it, that's a huge piece of it. What the coach's philosophy is, and I'm not mad at coaches. Coaches got every right to have their own philosophy they want, and and God bless them, go with it. And a bunch of them have won a lot of games and been really successful. But at the college level, you can go recruit your type of pitcher. You can go recruit your type of player, and every year you might only need one or two or three of them to plug into your system. But when you start looking at it at the high school level where you got just the kids that are in your school – or even go to the next step at the pro level where you got kids coming from all over the world 
and it's got totally different environments that they came from and what they believe they did to get them to that point. And then you do have that dynamic of wanting to be pleasers or wanting to do what the coach wants me to do. But when they walk away, they either one, they don't understand what the coach is asking them to do because it's not what they've done their whole life. And two is, is they don't feel like the coach is going to be patient enough to give them an opportunity to honestly learn it. And so if we grasp that piece as coaches where we, I call it learning practice and performance practice, learning practice is where I'm trying to introduce something new that either this pitcher hasn't done before and we're not going to judge it. We're just going to sit here and say, hey, here's over the next three, four weeks. We're going to integrate this into it. Let's see how it works for you. If you like it, great. If you don't, then we'll try something else. And then performance practice is, is this is what we're going to do. These are the pitches by velocity and movement we're going to throw against real hitters and real games. And so when we're throwing our performance bullpens, then we're going to, we're going to measure it. We're going to measure it that if you sit here and say, I'm going to throw two seam sinker down and in, then I want to see that two seam sinker down and in. The brain don't know if you're pitching in the seventh game of the World Series or you're throwing a bullpen in December. So we got to tell it what we want it to do. And so I think once we start getting pitchers in that habit of saying, this is who I am, this is the pitches I throw, here's what I think the hitter's looking for, and here's the pitch I'm going to throw to him, now we've turned it, we've turned it loose. But to kind of give you that answer to that piece of it as coaches, we got to integrate it into a learning environment. If we integrate that into or we force it in there and just say that's how Daryl does it at this school – then I think we're going to get the the negative feedback, especially from the kids that really have a ton of confidence or is based in what they were doing or what you're asking them to change. And so I think how we integrate that and how we frame what we're trying to, to help them accomplish and how we're helping them grow, as long as that pitcher feels like it's really about them getting better and not necessarily this coach trying to force his philosophy down my throat, then I think that's the initial responses that I usually get at pitchers at every level, Jonathan, to be honest with you, man. I'm completely with you. And and something that I've tried to take an approach of is just giving them the data and having them process it themselves rather than forcing them onto any one thing or another. And I think that that's come with the information age. I know there's a lot of gripes about the millennials, but there's one thing that they can do is they can look up information and and tell if you're BSing them or not. But Especially yep. with social media, with guys like the Pitching Ninja and Craig Hyatt, and you can yep. show them this video and just say, hey, this is what this person does. This is kind of similar to what you're doing, or this is yep. how MLB is approaching it right now. Now, maybe we not might not be at that level, obviously, yet, but sure. we'd like to think that they're doing things right. So here's something else that we can try that, that goes along with your toolbox and things like that, but... I think it just goes yeah. back to what you talked about in the very beginning, which is just building a relationship with them and having them build build trust between you and the player. And then I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but but they'll go to the moon and back for you. And if you suggest no something question. that they're that you're going to get that buy in that what you're talking about. But if you don't have that relationship, then there's always going to be that that just am I is he doing this for his career or mine? No question. And with and with the feedback that we're getting from the, all these external uh, forces today for these young pitchers, with all the different coaches and pitching coaches, instructors that are in their lives before they're 17 years old, more or less 25, then they got so many places that they're gathering this information. As coaches, we got to be aware. I call them filters, man. I run these kids through these filters. I these confidence filters is what I call them is it okay. Then how much you trust that, how much you trust that instead of me shaping what they believe, then I really want to ask them, how does that feel? And it's not, again, it's not just woo woo mental stuff. It truly is, man. Do you like that? Do, do does it feel natural to you? Does it feel instinctive to you? And if we can start addressing every aspect of it, the intellectual, the emotional, the mental and the physical piece of it that way, then it truly does open their mind to think that it's them doing it. Even if it's your information, that's great. And again, I'm not married to a specific type or style or whatever. As long as it keeps you healthy and and lets you play at your maximum physical capability, then I'm fine with it. But at the same time, if we start having what I call identity crisis, if we start having identity crisis based off of a philosophy or based off of a workout program or something like that, then that's something that we got to sit down and address immediately, whether it's coaches or whether it's players or both of us. That's one of those conversations that, man, it ends up, again, ruining the relationship that we talked about earlier 
But that's that's a big piece of it is explaining why we do it this way or what we're looking for. And I think the better coaches today are the ones that are, like you said, are able to implement that inside of what the pitcher's doing or inside of what I call their start process, what they get up and do every day. And they tie it to one of those aspects of pitching. And when they do, I think they get that buy-in. But if but if you're an old school, my way or the highway, it's got to be, Ben, that, that's going to be a tough way to implement philosophies or training programs today. Because like you said, these kids will call you out quicker than snot now, man. And so it does. It's good. I love this generation, to be honest with you, because I was the same way when I was a kid. I was an undersized pitcher. I wasn't a dynamic athlete. I was, I think I was 5'11", 150 pounds when I got drafted. So I wasn't that 6'4", 220 guy that showed up and just looked like a physical specimen. I mean, I had to know how to pitch to get people out. And so when we see that piece of it, and then I think we can, we can have kind of that tug of war between the data guys and, and the, and the baseball guys. You see it in pro ball, Jonathan, to be honest with you. We see this that the minor league development model is tore between all the data collectors, all these guys that are really good at collecting data, which is after the fact, it's outcome based. And then just the pure baseball guys, the traditionalists, the ones that this is the way we've always done it. And unfortunately, a lot of these players feel like they're stuck in the middle in this tug of war. And so what I try to do is pull them out of it and say, hey, these guys, we need both of them. I want the baseball guys. I love baseball. And at the same time, the data guys are giving us information that we didn't have 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But at the same time, it is not pitcher development. And so when we have the data guys and the old baseball baseball guys looking at pitcher development like it's a problem to be solved instead of a bunch of individual human beings that we're trying to help them grow and be the best player they can be, then I think that's why we see some of the dynamics that we see in the minor league uh, player development. And the truth is, it's a business model, man. They're in, they're in there to make money, and I'm not mad at them about that. That's, that is pro baseball. But at the high school and the college level, if we pull that data down and then we start adding that data to the old baseball guys and we pull the kids in the middle of it, and then me and you are sitting here trying to solve a problem instead of saying, how do I take Daryl and make him the best pitcher he can be? Then, then he can go out and help my team win games. Then that, that's a totally different mindset on how we, where we place the development aspect of it as that it's more about growth and, and continue to develop individual players than it is about justifying my philosophy. And so I think you're dead on. That's what we see a lot, unfortunately. And then now with the Twitter wars and all the other stuff you see on social media, everybody, they, they get to be self-identifying with one program or another and doing all that. And, and sometimes being totally honest with you, I think it does more damage than good. Sure. And another approach that I've, that I've taken lately, which kind of goes in line with what we're talking about is, especially with the new guys that I work with, the older guys, they've heard this a thousand times probably, but I'll, I'll ask them, you know, who's your best pitching coach? Who's the best pitching coach in the world for yep. you? And they'll be like, no, you are. And I'm like, no, get out of here with that. You know? So. Yeah. I'm like, no, you are. Who has seen more pitches and who has felt more pitches thrown than you yep. yourself have? And so they start yep. thinking about it and, and it just, it opens the door of, okay, now we can have a dialogue between what I, what I see and what you feel. And no so it, it just closes that gap a little bit. But you, you mentioned that you love to take a holistic approach with individuals and yep. in a team setting. It's especially hard for me, especially when we have 60 guys, you know, and, and as hard as I try, but I, I, and I love yep. to, but yep. I would love to get your advice on how to do individualized training or how to talk to uh, yeah. individuals in an individual fashion with multiple, yeah. multiple kids and multiple teams even. Yeah, I think what happens is when we look at it, we look at it from a management perspective. Like, how am I going to manage practice with 60 kids or 25 pitchers or 30 pitchers? And even inside of that, each one of those individual pitchers is going to have certain things that they got to do that are team geared. And, and again, I'm with that. We can, we can do the dynamic warm up together. We can do the lead ins together. There's different things that we can do that every pitcher needs to do to go get ready. What, even if some of them are a little bit different for each different pitcher. But when we get to throwing the bullpens, this is the time because every pitcher is going to throw a bullpen. And, and personally, I think bullpens are one of the most wasted time in high school and college ever, because that is the one time that we got to identify whether they're in learning practice, where we're really just trying to learn these pitches 
or we're trying to learn or to how we finish a pitch or whatever it is that the individual coach and pitchers want to work on. So we got to look at it from a tactical point of view. Are we looking on something that is a physical capability piece, a movement pattern or something like that? Are we, are we got the movement pattern down and now we're just trying to work on actually locating this pitch by velocity and movement. So when we start framing that out, we can chart the stuff and it will give us feedback. And so the feedback does two things. One for the brain, the brain ain't nothing but images, patterns, and experiences that we feed it or it takes in from whatever environment we put it in. So when we recreate what I call performance practice bullpens, then it's a lot easier for that pitcher to believe that when they cross that white line. And all of a sudden we start adding competition, emotional environment, all the other things that come in that end up you know, having that possibility of hijacking their physical ability and their mental preparation. And so that's one of the unique pieces that we talk about all the time, that we can be the most mentally prepared and physically prepared. But when we cross that white line, that our emotions can hijack both of those. And that's usually what happens when we see pitchers melt down on the mound. It has nothing to do physically or even mentally. They're breathing. Their self-regulation's okay. It's just all of a sudden they got out there and they don't feel prepared. They don't feel like they're intellectually understand what they need to do. And now all of a sudden it just starts piling on. So once we get to that piece of it, we got to dial in the individual stuff in the bullpens. And so there's sometimes that we're throwing bullpens just to get ready for the season. But Jonathan, once we get to the point where we know that they're at 95 or 100%, especially preseason bullpens, them last three or four bullpens, if they're good and they're ready to go, we need to throw performance level bullpens where we track every pitch by velocity and movement to location. Can they do it on purpose? And then we can start adding in situation. I call them situational bullpens where now all of a sudden it's two, two. Here's the man on second. What, what pitch are we throw? And, and the more that we can recreate these game like bullpens, not just competition wise, but mentally and, and emotionally for that pitcher. And we create that pattern of how he throws his pitches by velocity and movement to a location. Now it truly does, when they cross that white line, become a chess match. Now it's about execution. It's about me understanding what the hitter thinks is coming. And then what do I do that first 20 feet to that hitter to get him to commit or not to commit? And once we're able to break it down like that, then we can go back in and plug in all these training things that we need them to do. But I think what's happened with a lot of just individual pitcher development, we've got so caught up in into trying to keep them healthy, which is key. Don't get me wrong. But we started doing development like it was a recovery program instead of it was this growth program. And so I tell young coaches all the time, the best way to save pitchers arms is to teach them how to get hitters out faster. You know, when we sit here and teach hitter, pitchers how to get hitters out faster, then that's going to be fewer pitches. And and again, some of it's so dependent on what your team does behind you, where the catcher can do what he's supposed to and the rest of your teammates. But when we really start looking at it from that mindset is that when I go out on that mound, my job is to get us back in the dugout absolute fast I can and that I'm not wasting pitches. I'm just getting a hitter out. And so once we do that, then I think when we get pitchers that get ahead in the count, oh, two, one, two. They don't become defensive. But if you go in the best hitters in baseball and Cabrera and some of these guys and you look at, at in the in the hot zone, cold zone, in this K zone, if you look at where they hit 400 when they're behind in the count, it's usually off the plate. It's down and in where they know pitchers are probably going to throw them or it's going to be up and away where they know if pitchers are heading the count instead of pitching at them and getting them out, we pitch away from them because we're pitching away from what we you know, we think is their strength. And all of a sudden you see it, man. Cabrera hits 400 from down around his ankles on a one, two count. And he hits 400 uh, up and away on a O2 count. And them guys that can keep that ball fair, that's a huge plus for them, man, in the big league level. So what I try to teach guys is when we're throwing individual performance bullpens that we want to show their strength and move it to a weakness. So when that first 20 feet, I don't care what pitch you're throwing, we want the same movement pattern. We want the same mechanics. We want the same release point for every pitch. We want the same, all of that to be the same. But that first 20 feet, I want that hitter to think that that's the pitch they were looking for. And then them last two or three feet, I want to move it. I want to, I call it change of lanes, changing planes or changing speeds. That if we can consistently show it as a strength and move it to a weakness, 
then we're going to end up having a lot more success than failure. And then it comes into execution. And so that's the piece that I see, man. The simplest answer for that is how we throw our our performance level bullpens. Now, up to that point of getting the arm ready and doing that stuff, I get it. And there's so many philosophies out there about how we, you know, we recover in between starts. And again, some of them are great and some of them work for some pitchers. But at the younger level, the high school and college level, I don't know if these kids throw enough specific, you know, functional bullpens, I call it, where it's truly what they do in a real game. These are pitches by velocity and movement that I throw in a real game. And if we can start dialing in those performance level bullpens, then you can throw the other bullpens or mix them in where you have fun or competitions and do stuff. I'm not against that. But once we get in season or we get to them last couple bullpens before the season starts, I want that pitcher 100% focused on what pitches he would throw in a real baseball game and does he understand when he would throw them. And if you can get to that point, Jonathan, and a lot of these kids can, if we get them to that point, you're going to see them not only have better pitch command, but they're going to feel like they're in control of it. And once they get to that confidence of it, now they'll listen to the coaches when they plug in little bits of information or a little bit of advice or tips here. Or did you see what that hitter tried to do to you there? And see, now all of a sudden it all becomes cohesive. Now the coach has given me feedback based on what I can do, what I am doing right now in real time. And that information is invaluable. But if it's just a philosophy conflict or it's just about here's the way we throw bullpens and it's not what that pitcher is going to do in a real game, then we're going to struggle, man. We're going to struggle with command. And that's 90 percent of the pro guys I get throw 94, 95, man. I get a lot of guys that call me after they get released. And and I first question, I ask them, are you healthy? Yeah. Do you feel good? Yeah, man, I feel better than I ever did. Then why can't why can't you, you know, execute your pitches? And most of them, man, they can't answer that question, Jonathan. Because they intellectually really don't understand how they do it. And it's not that they're dumb. It's not this IQ piece of it. It's just that they truly have just been so physically capable of just blowing people away. But once you start leveling up and hitters really start preparing for you, then now all of a sudden the hitter is playing chess and you're just out there. You have no idea what you're just throwing what the catcher calls. And so that that dynamic right there, man, is the difference between pitch command and and walking five guys a game and and once we get that piece right man i know that ain't a simple answer but if we start throwing those performance bullpens either in between starts that especially with younger pitchers because they're they're, you can recreate competition but you can't recreate how they're going to execute their pitches against the team that they're facing next the only way they can do that is is them understanding how they throw their pitches and and to do that we got to be super focused and dialed in on how they throw their bullpens. And I do, I think a lot of young teams, a lot of young places, I watch a lot of high school games and I see these kids down there throwing bullpens and they're just like, they, they and people wonder why they walk five or six, seven people a game. I said, cause you throw your, you threw in a game, just like you threw in a bullpen. You had no idea where the ball was going. And so we think that is a physical thing, Jonathan. It ain't, it's, it's an intellectual understanding thing. Physical comes to when we want measurables, we do physical stuff. But when we want pitch command, it's about executing and getting hitters out. And that that usually will tell us the truth on that piece of it. Sure. And something that, you know, I think all of us have felt helpless with, and that's that's pitch command. So besides, yep. you know, playing catch with a purpose and yep. throwing bullpens yep. with a purpose, what else factors yep. into that? And, and what can we help our players with as far as, as building that uh, building better command? Well, I think that's two pieces. There's two phases to it. One is, is that from the earliest ages we can, we need to start telling pitchers that your only goal is to get the hitter out. But when we sit here and we start telling kids at 12, 13, 14 that you got to throw hard as you can, I do want them to throw hard as they can, but I want them to throw hard as they can while they get the hitter out, you know, so we can work on getting, you know, velocity and doing all this stuff and some of it genetically is already there at 13 14 15 some of it will have to be developed some of it will be programmed later but at the same time we got to understand where each one of these pitchers are at and so if if as coaches we keep constantly telling them that we wish they threw two or three miles an hour harder if he only had four or five miles an hour on his fastball then you know the kid hears that they take that out there with them, but yet at the same time, we keep running these kids out there and expecting them to pitch with confidence when really all they've ever heard from us is, man, if you just had a couple more miles an hour, you'd be tough. 
And that's the feedback that we give these kids a lot of times when we start, especially these younger ages, where we start hitting showcases and start doing all these things where the whole point and purpose of the showcase is to, to tell you where you're at. And so when we look at that as a talent, a talent evaluation compared to getting hitters out, I think just that little mindset shift alone matters to these players, especially the ones that just want to play high school baseball, that they don't have this desire to go play college ball or to go play pro ball, but they want to have a really good high school experience. Those kids right there, we need to really be driving home that, hey, man, let's you do what you're physically capable of. But at the same time, it's about getting hitters out. And those kids right there, will those are the guys you'll count on in championship games. It ain't always the most physically talented kid that is the one we want to lean on. And so when we see, okay, as a coaching staff, why would I lean on that kid that maybe ain't the most physically talented one I have or don't throw as hard as the, the other guys I have? And you start looking at why you lean on that kid. It's because he understands intellectually how he throws his pitches. Now, it might not be perfect. None of us are. And I don't look for perfection. But I tell you what you do, if your job is on the line or if the championship's on the line, you want the kid that's going to go execute pitches and give your team the best chance to win. And it's no different for these kids. These kids understand who the best players are. They understand who everybody says are the most physically talented. But at the end of the day, baseball is played on the field, man. That's what we love about it is that once the game starts, it don't matter. It don't matter how physically talented you are. If you don't understand how to use that and you don't understand how to use it to your advantage to help your team win or to get hitters out, then guess what? It's just a, it's just a talent, but it has nothing to do with the game of baseball itself. And so I think the number one thing we can do is to teach kids early on that your only job as a pitcher is to get the hitter out and, and, and let them grow and develop into the, the physical pitcher they're going to be. And then the second piece is that is we got to be permission, permission based coaches where, you know what, we want them to be who they are. We got a culture. We got a style that we play with. We got a character that our team is going to conduct itself with. But at the same time, you know what, this this type of team and the type of players I have, I'm going to let them do what they're supposed to do that day. And I think there's a freedom that comes with that. And I think the best coaches from the big league level down get that piece of it. That sometimes you just get, you can coach them up as much as you want, but at some point in time, they got to believe that they're capable of going out there and executing their pitches against the best hitters on the other teams. And once you do that, then now all of a sudden we do, we've gave them the environment to be successful. And now it just truly is about plug and play where you need to and strategies as coaches, staff, where you go in and you know where you can put your kids in the best circumstance and situation to be successful. And I think that's the fun part about it, man. Once we get to this piece where these kids feel like they really do contribute and now you're trusting them with the role and responsibility that you've given them, now we have a chance to really see how talented they are as a complete baseball player and then as our team as a whole, man. But that's where I would I would tie that into this get hitters out philosophy, man. Just go get them. And, and what that does, it truly does give them kids permission just to go be themselves. And then I think that's where we'll see the growth. And then we can plug in information and ideas and advice once they believe that, that like you said earlier, that we're coming from the right place with it, that we really want them to be successful, that it's not just about us and what our philosophy is. It really is about these kids and them and their teammates and them being successful. Definitely. And I'm curious, as far as in-season goes, whenever... Uh... Yep. Whenever you go to a mound and talk to the pitcher, what are yep. some things that, that you like to talk about or what are some things that you like to say to them? Yeah, the, the, that's a good question because this is the piece that goes back to the performance bullpen stuff. See, when we when we do performance bullpens and we're throwing and we're tracking our pitches by velocity and movement to a location and we're honestly tracking them and we're doing it for real, then when we go out there, we can ask them what is different from the bullpen to the game. What did you see when we when we did the preparation for here's what the other team's overall philosophy is. Here's what the other team probably expects you're going to do. And then here's what each individual hitter expects you to do. And then you got to look at the things that you can't control, the environment, the umpire, you know, the fans, all the other stuff, the weather, all those things that play a part into throwing pitchers off uh, out of kilter a little bit. And so we got to identify truly what the issue is. If it's a focus issue and, and now all of a sudden their mind's just scrambling, 
then we want to get them right back into that performance bullpen. Hey, what pitches are you trying to throw? How are we throwing it? How do you throw that pitch? It really is going back to how do we throw that one individual pitch? And once we get to that point, now all of a sudden we can re-engage the brain again. But if they if they've went off into emotional left field on you, then you're going to have to just have a real conversation with them, man, about here it is right now. Get it back. I think younger pitchers, if you're talking about pre-high school pitchers, man, you got to take them out of the game. If you want to know the truth, I think we sit here and and when you don't intellectually understand how to fix it, a 12, 13, 14 year old kid ain't going to fix it on the mound. That's just crazy. We're just leaving them out there and it don't make a lick of sense. If you go out there and they got that that look in their eyes and you know that they don't have a clue how to fix it, there's nothing magical you're going to say in the next minute that's going to fix it. But if you got a high school kid or you got a, a college guy that it's early in the game and and truly they're just they're just not dialed in to what the game plan was then we want to go back out and ask them what the game plan was what was the plan going in for this hitter and see if maybe they're just so jacked up and excited that they've just not thinking straight or them and the catcher ain't on the same page but whatever it is it's one of those things that we want to get dialed right back into the performance we want to get back into you know, some people go out there and they make it lighthearted. Some of them, it just depends on what it is. But personally, if I'm going out there and it's my it's my Friday night guy in college or Saturday night guy in college, then I'm not going out there mad or frustrated or angry. I'm going back out there trying to get them focused on the game plan. That when we went in, we had a plan on how you were going to attack these hitters. What? Why are you not doing that? And then what pitch are you not trusting by location that you feel like you can't execute? So we keep going back to something that's not working. And so a lot of times it's just clicking that that emotional trigger about, hey, man, you know what? This is what you said you wanted to do. Here's what we had planned before the game of what we were going to do. Now, why have you got away from that? Maybe the umpire ain't calling that pitch that day and he's got to make that adjustment and he don't know how to make that adjustment. See, that's real. But at the same time, then we got to come back into, okay, then what pitches are working that day? And then we're just going to have to battle and get guys out with those pitches. And so now we're just going to attack in and in the zone. So instead of moving from the in the zone to out or out to in, every pitch we throw is going to be in and in the zone, and we're going to leave it up to our defense to win the game for us. And so some of that is just real-time adjustments based on what what is actually going on. If it truly is the umpire not calling that pitch that day or whether it's something that you know we just had two or three errors in the field, Whatever it is that, that could be that outside influence that is impacting them, we got to address that. I think so many times we go out there and we ignore it like we don't want to talk about what just happened. I think we're better off to go out there and say, yeah, man, that just happened. All of that just happened. Now let's get back on to how we're going to prepare to get the next hitter out and do it based on what you said prior to the game was going to happen. And then based on what the umpire and the rest of the team and the, and the things that are happening is going on. But that's the awesome thing about baseball, Jonathan. That's the piece of is, you know, competition to me is preparing for the things that have to go right. But at the same time, it's that preparation for the uncertainty is what separates the best players. And so when we know that that things are going to happen and we don't emotionally react to it, we just go right back into the next pitch, next hitter, go into the next thing. Then guess what? That's more than just some some mantra that we tell ourselves that is truly got to be part of that pitcher's identity. But as coaches and as, as teammates, we got to give them permission to be that guy. And at the same time, we got to give our shortstop permission to make a couple errors and, and pick him up. And so I think when we start looking at it from the bigger context, if we prepared the way we wanted to prepare and we see the things that we can't control the outside external things that we can't control. Once we've identified those two things, then obviously when we go out and talk to those pitchers, we want to get them back on the game plan and get the catcher back on the game plan as quick as possible. No, I love that. And and I think that that's always, uh, again, and you take an individual approach with that as well. You know, what, what, sure. is, what is he doing? But I always like to hear yep. what other coaches have to say because we we don't have a mic on and we don't get to hear what other coaches have to say. So, so I thought that that was really good. Some of them, I- I've heard some colorful stuff over the years, personally, when I was out there from a few coaches. But no, it's uh, fun, man. I don't know if you know or have read Ball Four. Have you ever read Ball Four? You know what? I've seen parts of that. I've I've read parts of it, and uh, you know, I haven't read the whole book, but I'm sure I got it around the house somewhere. I'm a reader, man. That's what I do. 
the only reason I bring that up is because my dad was in it and he played with the pilots. Oh, really? And so, uh, yeah. So they actually Bouton wrote down a uh, a mound visit incident, so where my dad was on the mound and and the yeah. man- manager comes out and goes, "Hey, Gilner." Let's just throw some strikes so we can get out of here and go pound some Budweiser. And I was like, oh, my yeah. gosh. So, I asked him about that. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, that's that's fairly typical. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I don't think we can do that with our oh. kids. But, you know, just goes back to back to your colorful mound conversations. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And, that again, there's some baseball traditions that we love from coaches and people coming out there and just different things that's been passed on. That's the stuff we don't want to change as far <laughs> as baseball. I want managers to manage and have fun and do that. But the development piece of it is the part that we're having. And it's I love it, man. We're having great conversations throughout the baseball community over different aspects of it. And, you know, again, some of them get too self-identified with a specific training program or whatever. But at the end of the day, the conversations that you're having with these coaches and the stuff that's out there, I think it's I think it's good. I think we got to be careful because I think we can do information overload on the kids. You know, I think we learn something new and we get excited because I'm that way. I love learning. I love reading. I'm a I'm always looking for business stuff that can trans over transition over to the baseball stuff and kind of make sense and how things can fit together in, in different business models. But at the same time, when we look at what's really going on with a lot of the philosophies and the different things, it's just a conflict between the old traditional baseball guys and the new data driven people. And so now all of a sudden, you know, they're both trying to etch their way into what part of the baseball community they belong in. And we need both of them. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, we can't forget this is truly about the kids and how we keep how we keep young people engaged and wanting to play baseball and growing the game of baseball. And at the same time, man, there's more information available now than ever in the history of mankind. So like you said earlier, man, they can if you say something a little bit whack, then. 10 seconds later, somebody's Googling it on you and they'll quote 10 great baseball guys on you're crazy. It don't work that way. But I think at the same time, it keeps us coaches accountable and and it does provide a new opportunity. But we do got to be careful that we can plug too much information into these kids at one time. And and that information overload is for real. Oh, absolutely. And and Daryl, you seem like a guy that is consistently learning on a day-to-day basis. So can you tell us, you know, what are some of your favorite resources, books, programs that you can share with us? Oh, that's a great question. I love, again, there's all kinds of things. I'm always looking for stuff that cross over and do stuff. And, and again, we can talk about the baseball stuff of it. I think, you know, obviously the mental ABC stuff that Dorfman did. I think it ties into situations. I don't know if, if it goes as deep as I, I would like it to go far as individually, but I think from a collective whole of looking at experiences and how to handle them or how to look at least how to frame, how to go after them. I think Paul Reddick's doing stuff with the baseball dads I like. You know, I like the way he's reaching out to the baseball dad community, the five, six, seven dad community and doing stuff by just giving them how to filter the information that we're all giving them. And then uh, there's business books that I love. There's a new one I just bought the other day. Tim Arnold It's called The Power of Healthy Tension. And he does a lot of work on polarity where we come into something and, and it's, it's like political or politics or religion where you're picking one side or another and it's either right or wrong or it's this or that. It's not ever really the piece of it. And I've, I've seen that that correlation with baseball and development right now. We got so many people that are trying to polarize the development of these young players, whether it's for personal gain or whether it's for business gain or whether they honestly believe that that is the best thing for all these kids. But me personally, and I don't think we can look at, at player development, especially individual player development, as a problem to be solved. I think we got to look at it as an opportunity to build relationships with these young men and really help them grow and develop as baseball players. And then we can plug in the information they need. But again, the core of what this has got to be about is that, and I preach this even to my pro guys that call. First, first time I talk to them, I tell them that, first of all, baseball don't add any self-worth to you as a human being. You can be a great human being and be a horrible baseball player. And that don't matter. So don't have yourself and don't self-identify with a baseball player. 
You know, you're going to be a 10 times better person. This is just a, a snap time, a snapshot in time. This is just a window of your life that you've been blessed and you've got some physical capabilities. And now you've got that intellectual interest and, and you're emotionally invested in seeing how far you can go. Then, then let's go with it. But let's don't, let's don't tie any of your self worth as a human being to baseball or to any external thing that can be taken away. And so when we try to reframe that and, and it's hard when you, when you're at the pro level and I was there, I get it. When you're in the minor leagues fighting to just figure out a way to get to the big leagues, then you hang on every word that every coach says, everything that happens around you, you're judging it and comparing yourself to it and measuring yourself to it. And I'm telling you, mentally and emotionally, it can just wipe you out. And so when we can go back and reframe it with these young men and really tell them that, hey, yeah, this is important. These coaches' jobs at the college and pro level are on the line. They get fired if you suck. If you don't play well, they get fired, especially if they're the one that drafted you or recruited you. But at the same time, you know what? We can hold them accountable and, and give them permission to be themselves and, and let them make some mistakes and, and, and pick them up out of it as they're going through it. But I think as a coaching community, uh, if we can really develop that individual differentiation, but at the same time, understand that paradox of baseball, that it really is. It's an individual team sport. That most of these players, when they're in the box, they're in the box by themselves. When they're on the mound, they're on the mound by themselves, even though they, they can be in an environment where they're surrounded by teammates and fans. But you can feel like that. And so when we go ahead and acknowledge that and give these kids permission to be themselves, but at the same time, there's an accountability and responsibility to the team and to the coaches and to your community and to your school or whoever you're playing for, the organization. And, and we build that in as a collective whole as part of their individual development. Jonathan, I do think baseball will get better. I think us coaches will get better as we listen to each other. But if, if we got this polarity where it's either right or wrong or, or it's us against them or whatever, then in the developmental community, I think we're, we're really doing these kids a huge disservice, man, to be honest with you. Oh, fantastic. And again, sticking on the learning component, what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? You know what I'm learning now is that to listen better, to honestly listen, because I talk a lot, I talk fast, and I got a habit of wanting to just try to hurry up and get. And then most of my consulting calls are based on time. So we got 20, 30, 40 minutes. So I'm trying to really get deep in that week's thing. But to honestly, to learn to listen better. And, and, and I know that sounds kind of ironic or woo woo, but the truth of it is, man, I think as coaches, and you've heard this before in the business world or, or in any teaching environment that we do, we, we got a tendency to have this curse of knowledge or at least curse of what we believe is knowledge. And we want to share it as fast as we can. And I got a tendency of wanting to pour that down kids instead of stepping back and really listening to how they're responding, what, how they're answering the questions that I'm asking and really slowing this process down because everybody's in a hurry. Everybody's in this fast paced, you know, instant gratification world. And then pitcher development and player development, man, that's just not our reality. And as coaches, we know that, but at the same time, it don't stop us from wanting to, of wanting to go out and really do that. And so. The biggest thing I'm learning right now and in, in, in my wife and everybody else is more than happy to help is learning how to listen better. And I think as coaches and as, as, you know, consultants or trainers or teachers or firemen or whatever else you're blessed to do in this world and this life, the more we listen to other people, the better the relationship is. I'm completely with you. I do the same thing. Instead of mm -hmm. listening to reply, I'm trying to listen to understand a little bit better. And, and that, that's really helped me. But Daryl, I, I appreciate your time and thank you so much for, you know, coming yeah. on and talking to us, especially a lot about the relationship component and, and trying to build relationships and then and then trying to help pitchers be the best that they could possibly be uh, within yep. within the parameters that, that they walk in with. But where can yeah. our listeners find you online in case they want to get in touch and, and talk with you more about it? Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you having me on. I know these are different conversations than probably what you've had on a lot. And I appreciate the diversity that you, you're providing on your platform, man. So that's really cool. They can reach out. They can go to startpitching.com. That's where I do most of my pro consulting in, on there. 
Our, their new program that we just launched with one of my former pro clients, Dan Herman, is Pitcher Match, where we're working with parents of, of pitchers and really helping them, high school pitchers, get ready for that college experience, how to find the best college, how to really dial in and research the the college coaching staff to make sure that you meet their prerequisites and the preferences of the different coaching staffs and really trying to help eliminate some of the confusion that that I've seen over the last three or four years with my other pitching clients when I started bringing the parents into it. So we just kind of joined in and made it a part of start was what we call it pitcher match. You can go to pitchermatch.com or pitcher match Facebook page. We just launched it a two or three weeks ago as we speaking, man. So we get through that and it's been great so far, getting a lot of good feedback from that. And then they can reach me at, at DC at startpitching.com if they got any questions or, or want to talk or, or go a little deeper into what the start philosophy is, man, or the start process is. But again, man, I've enjoyed this. I always love talking to baseball guys and getting deep. And I, I, I appreciate what you're doing here, man. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to view the show notes or get in touch with me, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com or on the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association app. Help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. But before you go, here's a quick word from our friends at Keeper of the Game. Hi, this is Ben Hochter, Keeper of the Game's Youth Ambassador and the Student Director of Baseball Operations at Reedy High School. Keeper of the Game provides great baseball experiences for kids with special needs and disabilities. Keeper also creates service opportunities for teams like Reedy Baseball. Check us out at KeeperOfTheGame.org, Keeper of the Game on Facebook and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is at BaseballKeepers via Keeper of the Game.